When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to have a second. This is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of vice and fire, and it is Halloween out here, and we've talked about Halloween costumes and what I'd like to dress up as, though I never quite do. Uh, you guys are probably out heading to some parties, and I uh, would love to hear if any of you uh, have dressed up and are dressing up tonight. What are you dressing up as? Hopefully a dragon, hopefully a direwolf, or hopefully a night's watchman like I want to, though I'm hearing it's kind of hot. Jeff's got a call. He's talking about costumes he's worn. I want to hear from you guys as well here on Daily Thrones. Happy Halloween, Ken, and happy Halloween Game of Thrones callers. Um, just talking about the topic of costumes. Although I've never dressed up as a Game of Thrones character for Halloween, um, me and my group of friends throw a season finale party every year, and twice before we've done some cosplay for it. First time, I went as a Man of the Night's Watch I believe that was at the end of season two, and then a couple seasons later, me and my wife decided to go as uh, Oberyn and Ilaria. And Ken, you're right, when you go as a Man of the Night's Watch, it is very hot. Black, sh- well, Everything's black, fur cloak, boots, gloves, all in June. It's not ideal. Um, we've all been talking that at the series finale, um, we're going to all go out with a bang. We're going to just go to the nines with all of our costumes, and I'm going to go with the one that fits me perfectly. I'm going to go as the Kingslayer himself, and I'm going to try and go all out and see what I can do to make some Kingsguard armor, uh, and hopefully it all turns out in the end. And maybe I'll post a picture once I, once I do that. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Happy Halloween to you and all of the Daily Throne listeners keeping things light today because it's a holiday and it's time to go partying i'm just wondering what kingdom would you like to celebrate halloween in for me i'm going to go outside the box from all the obvious stuff and i'm going to say the eerie the veil if you look at the outside of the veil it feels like a very traditional spooky narrow path castle with the clouds and the full moon coming down really the only way to get up there is through a narrow scary windy path or some kind of witch flying around on a broom, right? That, to me, is a perfect venue to hold a tremendously great Halloween party, uh, dressed in costume. And, of course, that's when we had the first dark Sansa costume that came walking down the stairs for an evil queen. To me, the Eerie is the best place for a party. What do you think? Thanks. All right, it's Halloween, and Kevin's got a great question. Where are we celebrating Halloween in Westeros, assuming... We had that holiday there, or there's some kind of sort of similar holiday, kind of like their name day, our birthday celebration. Uh, what would it be? Where would it be is the question. He says the veil. And Kevin, I like that answer. Your dark Sansa uh, call out makes me think that they appreciate good costuming in the veil. Like, I, I could appreciate that. It's just it's so hard to get to it. If you're going to go to a party, you know, I'm out here in L.A. I live, I live in the San Fernando Valley, Burbank area. Someone's like, hey, you want to come to the party? I'm on the west side, Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Venice. I don't go. I cut it out. I'm not going to show up there. So the Vale's kind of like that. Now, Winterfell, far north, I don't think they celebrate a lot up there. Night's Watch, they're not worried. They take no part in the holidays of the realm. So 
If I'm thinking in Westeros, Dorne is a pretty good answer. It seems like they do a lot of celebrating down there, and I think a lot of people might answer Dorne. But I, I, I got to tell you, the major houses, I might go Highgarden. Highgarden, Knight of Flowers, uh, the, the, the Queen of... Th- Queen of Thorns, excuse me. I mean, these are already costumes. And Catelyn Stark's dig at them uh, to Renly Baratheon about, you know, my son's at war, not playing a war back in season two. That kind of makes me think they like to dress up in the Vale, to me, in the high, in high Garden for a lot of things. So I'm, I'm going with High Garden for my Westeros answer, but I think the real answer is over in Essos. And I think if you're going to celebrate any kind of Halloween like holiday in this world, we need to go to Carth, the greatest city that ever was or will be. That looks like Halloween year round. This Halloween's got to be the, the holiday that Piat Pri really just succeeds at. It's got to be one that people actually go to the House of the Undying for one, one day a year. They're like, let's go hang out with the warlocks. All right, we avoid them the rest of the year, but they put on a pretty good haunted house. Let's head over there. A lot of costumes. Uh, Quaith uh, finally fits in. No one looks at her mask weird. Uh, you know, Zaro's got a lot of money, allegedly. No one's really gone to his vault, but it's kind of spooky if you do. So um, I think that's the place, Karth, the greatest city that ever was and will be to celebrate the Game of Thrones version of Halloween. What's your guys' answers? I want to hear it. Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Kevin Ross, I like the answer of Karth because that, to me, is uh, Game of Thrones Disneyland, right? Because you got the uh, the illusionist creating all kinds of crazy the haunted mansion in Disneyland and Disney World. But I'm going to kind of counter your argument with the North. I almost think that the wall would be my second choice. It's a combination of Day of the Dead and a tournament to test skill. You could, it would be, I could see it running for a couple of days where... Uh, day one is a history lesson of the wall, kind of reaffirming our vows and why we're all together. And then day two uh, is a tournament. The night of day two is a huge party with Mole Town, right? Because, you know, you're blowing off steam and you're showing off victory. And day three is the reciting of the oath to pledge. The wall would be my second choice. Thanks. All right, Kevin, I, I, I like your counter. I, I wouldn't have thought the wall. I wouldn't have definitely thought the north. The north, the, the, the good people of the north don't seem like great partiers. Uh, maybe a good feast every now and then. Uh, the pilot episode of Game of Thrones show that the Starks can throw a party when they want, but no one, you know, Catelyn Stark and Ned Stark didn't seem like they were having a good time. And Benjamin Stark, God bless him, or the gods bless him, I should say, didn't seem to be a real cheery happy-go-lucky guy Bran's not John's pretty you know serious Rob had his moments Arya seems fun Sansa you know all right I don't know maybe it's the Starks that are tainting the north for me in terms of celebrating Halloween but the wall the gift north of the wall can you imagine the free folks celebrating a Halloween-like holiday like I said turning it into a multiple day event and any party and any holiday celebration that ends up in Molestown, well, that's just a good party. All right, Kevin, I'll accept your counter, your second choice. The wall might be a good Halloween party destination. 
Hey Ken, so to me, the show has not ended up where I thought it was going to end up um, for so long uh, in the first three seasons, even the fourth season maybe. I thought that the show was really going to be about the battle for the throne. Um, I had read the books, gotten through book five, like by season four, season three, and the undead was just not that important in the book and it became really, it became a big deal in the show. Um, Props to the showrunners and George for making me kind of feel like uh, someone from the South, not really really believing in monsters and believing in zombies and not really thinking the threat was really there when in all reality that was the biggest threat. It's kind of funny to think back to season one, episode one, and the first thing we see are rangers going above the wall uh, and you're seeing others in the undead. And at first you think, oh, that's cool. It's, that's neat, but not realizing how big of a threat that is and how big of a role that's going to play uh, later on in the show. Wind down the day with a great follow-up call from Jeff on a topic we were discussing the other day here on Daily Thrones. It's just kind of a wild idea, wild thought I had about you know where the show is now, where the story is going as it wraps up, both book and show, though the show obviously very far ahead of the book right now. Uh, is it where you thought it would go when you go back? And, and Jeff's call echoed a, a lot of things I thought. When you go back to season one, it's all about the throne. It's all about the politics. It's about the houses. And Jeff, you made a great point. Even in the books, what's north of the wall seems so legend-like and myth-like. You you kind of underestimate what it really means. Uh, Danny's prophecies, uh, her dreams and visions, uh, things about John and Tyrion and everything. All of it seems to point towards who's going to take that throne. It, it's obviously a, a great ploy by design. And, and when you go back to those first moments of the Rangers going north, running into the White Walker, the dire wolf uh, returning south of the wall for the first time in ages, I mean, all those kind of things, it, it's cool lore. It's interesting. And, and the, the specter, the shadow of the White Walkers hangs over the story for sure, especially if you're like me and you're a fan of, uh, of the Night's Watch and what's going on. Jor Mormont takes the Night's Watch north to see what Mance is doing, but also to find Benjamin Stark and to figure out some of these mysteries. So you know something's going on, but the story does such a great job of deflecting and distracting and sending you south. Like Jeff said, we all kind of feel as though we're in the south and everything we're reading or watching way above all the things north seem like a story old man is telling us. So it's easy to forget. And I think a lot of us probably... Uh, even if you knew the, the White Walkers were factoring in. I mean, again, it doesn't take much to see that. Oh, there's something going on up there. There's something important. But to see where it is now and how important it is that everyone is coming together and that it, it seems like the Iron Throne doesn't matter, whether or not that leads to democracy coming in and that's about that's what breaking the wheel is about, uh, remains to be seen. But the fact that it all is coming together and now pointing towards this war with the Night King plays out really well that's what i love when you go back to season one it's all right there in front of you just we are bedazzled by the little details see you guys tomorrow here on daily thrones if you're still out on the west coast or the central regions and going out to celebrate halloween be safe if you're home late on the east coast or maybe you're celebrating uh please uh, hope uh, please continue to be safe and hope it was safe for you guys there um, much love to the city of New York City, uh, downtown lower Manhattan, suffering that terrorist attack today. Our hearts are with all you guys out there. I hope Daily Thrones and other shows can be a distraction to the real world problems. Sometimes it's fun to just climb into a 
fandom bubble. Turn off your mind and relax. The favorite the station so you don't miss a broadcast here in Daily Thrones. Find our daily broadcast. You can find me on Twitter at KenNapsuck. Use that hashtag Daily Thrones to join that conversation. We'll see you guys tomorrow here on Daily Thrones on Anchor. I'm Ken Napsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. Hope we all had a good time last night celebrating Halloween, whether it was uh, quiet and inside, where you're out trick-or-treating as an adult should, or out partying. Hope you all got home safe and had some fun. We had some great discussions yesterday about where in Westeros or Essos would you like to celebrate Halloween? And I got some follow-up answers and a clarification from Kevin on his hate and love of Varys. Hey, Ken, um, to answer Kevin's question, I'm going to go a little out of the box with this, but what about a red temple in Essos? Now, it may not necessarily be fun, but it would definitely be interesting because, you know, they would really be celebrating Halloween with some kind of ritual. Who knows? Maybe even some kind of sacrifice. It would definitely be interesting to see Halloween in one of the red temples because, hey, I'm always up for learning new things. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. You're right. I do have a love-hate relationship with Varys because the logic of Varys in the story, especially when you have a little finger in court with him, make no sense. And let me explain why. Varys is a tool that you use to get you to the next level. So Cersei's plotting to get rid of Robert would use a Varys and do maintain a network of spies. But you also have a little finger to counterbalance Varys. You have your plan in place, you eliminate a guy like Varys because Varys, if you're turning your page, he's ahead on the next page. He's already looking past you. So it, what you have to do politically and logically is you have to get rid of the guy who puts you there first because you've already got the backup of Littlefinger. And how would Littlefinger want that level of competition when he's got his own spies makes no sense to me. That's why I have a love-hate with Varys. Thanks. All right, I like, uh, we're still talking Halloween here, and I like Eric's idea of going over to a red temple. Uh, let's go all the way to a shy by the shadow. Let's celebrate there. you got to think, if you're celebrating Halloween in the world of es- Westeros or Essos, then uh, a red temple, particularly in a shy, would be the place to go. Though, it might be a little dangerous. I think, Eric, you touched upon that. We, we could get some kind of ceremonies or sacrifices or things there's some powers going on there that i just don't want to see uh, a smoke baby monster was enough it was spooky enough that was halloween enough for me uh maybe i want to move on from there i mean kevin calling in to explain uh what i called his love-hate relationship with varus and you know kevin you explain yourself well uh varus is an interesting character because I don't know if he could ever be trusted, and Baelish is in that category too. They're both, I mean, from the get-go, we establish them as that's what they do on the small council. They move things around, they whisper, they move in the shadows, and they're behind a lot of the big things that go down, particularly Baelish, whereas Varys is planning on some big things that maybe we have yet to see or are in motion and have been in motion for a long time. Who do you who do you trust least? And Baelish? I, I think Baelish in a weird way can be bought. He's going to think for himself. He's going to do things for himself. But he's very out in the open about it. Varys is so good. He is a whisper. He is a rumor. 
And in the books, he's even more uh, good at disguising himself uh, on the show. That's It's kind of hard to play out. It's kind of hard to make that happen because you see Conleth Hill. You see him there. But in the books, he's described as being much more sneakier himself. So the thing about Varys that I get, uh, Kevin, that you're saying is he's going to turn the page on you. Baelish might put you on that page and he's happy to have you there and he needs you on that page and he's not going to turn the page until it uh, serves him where Varys uh, by the same token if you don't serve Varys he's going to turn the page but he's already a few pages ahead you might not even have the chance and Baelish kind of puts uh, all the pieces out there on the table and pulls the strings out in the open uh, everyone kind of knows what's going on even Daenerys Targaryen right now, I, the, can she trust Varys? Can she not assume? I think she was right in confronting him. Can she, can she not assume that at some point he's going to work behind her? He's going to try to remove her. So, I don't know. I agree with what you're saying, Kevin. I understand. Varys is a tool. Varys is a piece. And then he kind of becomes the game himself. Oh, the wonderful world of the spider. You guys have some more memories of Varys. We're talking about that. But moving on with some other great stuff here, including a call from our old friend Thomas, who's doing well. Hey, Ken. So this question probably will come in two parts. Um, I've been sitting around today after treatment watching some of the episodes from Season 7, and uh, it got me thinking. The scene where Seal Team Snow is perched on the rock and the ice is broken around them, and they wait, you know, the whites wait for it to solidify. Um, that really got my mind running. So George R. R. Martin loves to base his works on uh, real geography and human history. Is there any chance that George R. R. Martin has based the continents of Westeros and Essos off of the geographical positioning of North America and Russia? Um, North America and Russia are separated by, I think it's somewhere around 50 miles at the narrowest point of the Bering Strait. Um, that really has me thinking that there's a good chance the Night King might hang a right and head west towards Essos and use his power of cold to bridge the two continents. So on to the next part here, and I'll explain. Hey, Ken. So just part two of my previous call in here. So I think the Night King is going to hang a right and head west for Essos, uh, partially because I believe that if he if he was a Westerosi man when he was turned into the Night King, I believe that his skill as a tactician, as we've seen so far, would lead him towards removing any sort of hope for solace that the Westerosi have in fleeing to Essos or the Iron Islands or anything like that. Um, yes, he has his dragon. Yes, he could just fly across. But why amass an army to deal with the job all by yourself? Um, I think he's going to create that ice bridge between Westeros and Essos. And I think that he is going to wipe out Essos virtually in its entirety. Um, I know it's a pretty crazy thought, but I just, ever since it's popped into my head, I can't get rid of it. So I'd love to know what you think, Ken. I'd love to know what everybody else thinks. And I want to thank everybody here for all the support from the last couple of days. It means the world to me. Thanks for taking the call and have a great night. All right, Thomas, good to hear from you. As always, glad to know you're doing uh, well and hanging in there doing your rehab. And we, as always, here in the Daily Thrones family, uh, our, our thoughts are behind you. May the gods, all seven of them, and whichever gods else are out there, be with you. Uh, but a great idea, great question, great thought about the Night King. We've talked about this before here. Does the Night King go to Essos? 
Do the people of Westeros try to escape to Essos? How does that far land, forgotten by a lot of people in Westeros, overlooked by a lot of people in Westeros, how does that factor into the final uh, season here of Game of Thrones? We didn't see it all last year. We moved on from it. But you have to factor it. You have to factor it in because, you see, when uh, the show first starts and the story picks up, if you're reading the first book at the first uh, for the first time, of course, um, there's this kind of idea, you get this sense, that much like, say, the wildlings to the north, uh, uh, everyone out in Essos, eh, you know, you, you're the first culture you really meet is the Dothraki. I'm not saying all of Essos is treated or thought of like like savages or anything horrible like that. I'm just saying you get the idea from Westeros. They're very Westerosi-centric, of course, that over in Essos it doesn't matter. It's the free cities. There's no rules. There's slaver cities. Uh, they start hearing talks of a of a girl queen with dragons. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And she's with the, the Dothraki. They're never coming over here. They're primitive. Don't pay attention to them. It is uh, it's interesting because now we see Danny comes over and, well, she had an army behind her that was pretty formidable. Ran into some problems along the way, that's, that's for sure. But there, there are people in Essos. There are a lot of people in Essos and a lot of cultures, and they're not simple, simple, primitive cultures like you'd, like you'd believe if you're just a Westeros. So... Is that resources for the Night King? Does he feel he needs resources? It it does not look like it now, to be honest. Uh, he broke through that wall. He has a dragon. He has a pretty unstoppable army. I don't know if he's going to turn, make an ice bridge of sorts, and walk over to Essos, Thomas. But it would make sense if he does. Uh, again, it goes to what is the Night King's goal? Is he just this mindless evil? Well, we know he has strategy. We know he has thoughts. So he should have some goals. We don't really quite know yet. That's the fun of the show. That's the fun of the mystery that's unraveling in front of us. But does he want this entire world? Is it just something on Westeros? Does he go down to the God's Eye, reverse the curse as we've talked about here before, and go back to uh, some other way of living? Or does he just turn the land into ice and rule it quietly, crunching around on the fields of snow? So if that's the case, it would make me think he would want to go to Essos, that there's something out there for him to take. It might be a little different, though, Thomas, in the book versus show. If this ends up being what the books are building to, the Night King coming down, or maybe it's the Night King in the book, whatever, the others form up, come on down, break through the wall, and it's a war for Westeros, I could see the book sending the Night's King, the Night King's army over to Essos because he'd have more time to tell that story. Going into season eight, six episodes, yeah, they're a little bit longer, but six episodes, I do not see the Night King saying, hey, I gotta head over here. The Golden Company's coming over, but that's about the only thing we know that's gonna factor in from Essos right now. Again, it makes sense. There's logic behind this idea of the Night King needs Essos. He doesn't want people to escape to Essos. I love what you've put out there, uh, Thomas, that uh, the, the Night King wants to take away all hope. So you take Essos. You can't even run away to this world you've always overlooked. I own that too. But will the show have that time? Will it just be 
something that he was going to get to later after he takes over Westeros and our heroes stop him on Westeros, that could be it. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's an interesting question. What what we've been trying to figure out here on Daily Thrones. How does Essos factor in to Season 8? Or does it all? Pitch your scenarios, answer it, speculate, join the conversation here on Daily Thrones. Favorite the station so you don't miss a broadcast. Call in. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. We'll see you tomorrow on Daily Thrones.